but the views and comments expressed on the Space Show by its guests, callers, and listeners belong to them. The Space Show and its hosts serve only as a platform and are not responsible for others' comments or views. All topics discussed on the Space Show are primarily for educational purposes. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday Space Show program. I am your host for the day, David Livingston. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, we'll get to the program with a slightly different take on the introduction in just a minute, but um, there are some changes in the upcoming schedule and some and some news. Uh, so uh, Tuesday, uh, Melody Ashar, space architect and sort of a, a real advanced person in thinking about how you live in space, will be returning as a guest to the show. She is also an ISDC speaker for 2023. Those of you who hear her on the space show, you'll get a chance to meet her in person unless her schedule changes. But Melody will be with us Tuesday night. There is no Hotel Mars on Wednesday uh, because I have to do yet uh, another stupid, and I'm calling them stupid, medical test that takes most of the day, and this is all uh, a follow-up regarding my recent knee surgery, and uh, I'm going to be out of pocket on Wednesday, so there's no Hotel Mars on Wednesday. Uh, We do have a Friday program. Uh, Tom Cook, C-O-O-K-E, is the CEO of Spacely, S-P-A-C-E-L-Y, dot work, W-O-R-K, and that should be a very interesting discussion. And then there is no program on Sunday, April 9th, because it is Easter. I do my best not to do shows on religious days or national holidays. And sometimes uh, they're in they're unavoidable, but uh, there will be no show for Easter. Uh, it's a kind of a family day for lots and lots of people. And it's even a family day for me as I um, will spend the time with my they're not in-laws because they're my son's in-laws. So what, what are they called when they're your son's in-laws? I guess good friends. Um, Tuesday, April 11th, we start off with Greg Autry, Dr. Greg Autry, and then Hotel Mars. And then Friday the 14th, Mike Gold. He used to be on a lot, and now he's uh, he's still an attorney. He's with Redwire. So Mike is returning to the space show. Really looking forward to that. And then Sunday, April 16th, Dr. Mo- uh, uh, not Dr., but Morgan and Lee Irons are on. That's food agriculture. That's the second time Morgan has been on and the first time her father, Lee, has been on. Zubrin, he doesn't need an introduction, is Tuesday, April 18th, and I'll stop there. So uh, we've, we've got a little bit of some holidays this coming week, uh, but then it's a chock-full schedule, and uh, we hope you're with us, and uh, some of these programs, in fact, all of these programs are probably going to be uh, very exciting. Our phone number today, 
we're still in our toll-free line experiment, but for Dr. Brandenburg, I'm going to stay with the toll-free line, 866-687-7223. And then email, of course, Dr. Space at thespaceshow.com. And uh, telephone calls are preferred. So once again, 866-687-7223. To many of you who are new, um, we refer to Dr. John Brandenburg, who is a long-time guest dating back to the beginning of the space show, and a, a long-time friend. Uh, he was a friend and in many ways helped me, even in the days when I was writing my doctoral dissertation. But we refer to Dr. Brandenburg usually as Dr. B, uh, B as in Brandenburg, uh, but his first name is John, so if you hear us talking about Dr. B, you know who we're talking about. Uh, our newsletter is ready to go out at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, West Coast time. If you want to receive it, make sure I have your email address. Everything we do is archived, and uh, you can download, listen on podcast, or listen right off of our website. Uh, we have that Space Show logo wear store. Uh, if you're interested in space show logo wear type of uh, activity, uh, clothing, uh, iPhone covers, things of that nature, uh, just click on Pepper the Husky listening to the space show and you can go check out the store. And your suggestions are always welcome as well, too. And then uh, please don't forget the most important part. We're a nonprofit 501c3, and here's the big part of that. We are listener-supported. So those of you who like these programs, like these guests, like to talk with them, like to attack them, like to support them, we need your help in being able to offer you this format. And um, so if you are a federal taxpayer, you do get a tax donation for your gift. We're now a Nevada nonprofit corporation on the state side. Um, and uh, the best way to support us is probably PayPal, the easiest way. Uh, in the upper right corner of our homepage, thespaceshow.com, uh, there is a big PayPal button or a link to the button. Uh, so fe- please feel free to use that. Uh, we do Zelle. And uh, for those of you that do use Zelle, the email address for our account is david at one one org. And, of course, we uh, welcome checks. They're made payable to One Giant Leap Foundation, and they mail to our Las Vegas offices, which are on uh, the PayPal button and our website. Or if you can't find it, please email me at drspaceshow.com. And uh, we are listener-supported, and we really do need your support. So we, we hope you will contribute to us. Um, it's very critical, and... Uh, we thank you for that support. And if you want to ask questions, just email me, Dr. Space at thespaceshow.com. Don't forget we have sponsors. They get the banner ads running across our homepage. And uh, they get a PR message on the longer shows. Uh, that They create that message. I read it. Otherwise, I shout out to Northrop Grumman, the Space Foundation, Astrox, AIAA, Celestis, the National Space Society, and Dr. Ben Arroyo, who is a billboard advertiser with his great books on developing the moon and lunar habitats. Remember, if you buy his books off of those 
banner ads, Amazon donates a portion of the sales price to the space show, which is always nice. Um, but we are listener supported, so please do help and support us. Uh, today's show was supposed to be an open line show, and that's been on the schedule for a, a couple of weeks as open line. But on Wednesday, Dr. B gave me a call and said, what's the soonest I can get on the show? i got to talk about AI, and I'm paraphrasing him, and why it's such a danger and risk to humanity. So I gladfully gave up my open lines position to Dr. Brandenburg so that he could be on this Sunday, because uh, after that, uh, we go to the end of April, and and now we don't have any April dates open. So so he got today's date, and... uh, he wrote a book, a sci-fi book. We covered it in July, uh, The War of the Singularity, The Human Race is Canceled. He writes under the, the false name of Victor Norgard, N-O-R-G-A-R-D-E. Uh, that's the July space show program, which sort of is about AI going amok. Uh, but John has been sounding this cry since the days he was a student. Um, at Lawrence Livermore Lab, and he has an interesting short story to tell you as a way of a preface to uh, why he's talking about this topic, and does he have any cred or credentials for talking about this topic. Um, And your phone calls and um, your support or your contempt for him are all welcome. The only only rule is civility, okay, but uh, otherwise agree or disagree. And if you didn't hear the July show with John on the War of the Singularity, the Human Race is Canceled, I suggest you go back and check it out. Uh, John, welcome back to the program. How are you? Great. Congratulations and contempt are equally welcome. How do I know we're talking to you and not a synthetic voice through AI of you? Uh, because... I I solved the puzzle, you know, of fine crosswalks and number of pictures before I went on this show. So that proves I'm a human being. So so we we have no synthetic voice. We have the real Doctor B. Is that what you're saying? Yes, you got the real real sleeping thing. Yes. So you you cannot say an excuse. I didn't say it. That's not what I meant. It's a fabricated <laughs> voice. This is, we can hold you accountable, right? No, and I will tell you that up until um, uh, this week or so, I actually worried that my posts on Twitter, which are on the, the topic of autocracy, B-O-T-O-cracy, okay. democracy, but with the uh, with uh, robot, woke AI robots, uh, bots running our government, uh, stealthily, but. Anyway, uh, until then, I thought I'm I'm a little bit out there. Um, people are going to think I'm going to not I'm a nut. Now they may still think I'm a nut. That's okay. Um, a tasty one. Well, but they they do I, think I, you got to admit Elon Musk and uh, a lot of these other people now agree with me. Yeah, so, but that, they think they do think you're a nut because you think Mars was nuked a hundred million years ago. So well. When my art, my scientific article comes out on that, uh, they'll think differently. How did you, how did you start thinking about AI running amok? Because uh, you've told me the story that goes back to your 
writing your Ph.D. days at Lawrence Livermore Lab. He is a plasma uh, physics person. I didn't read his bio, listeners, because so many of you know it. But he he is a theoretical plasma physicist, and uh, he does have good um, credentials from uh, the University of California, Davis, and uh, also uh, Lawrence Livermore Lab. And he's worked um, in weapons area and other areas, which he has loosely talked about on the show because he says he is still sort of bound by some of his classifications uh, that you never get unbound from. Um, but uh, you can read about him on, on our website. His full bio is there. Um, but what happened to trigger you into thinking about AI running wild and even starting to write a, you call it an opera, back in the 1970s? Space opera, you know, meaning a, uh, I'm a space cadet, so I wanted most of the action to occur in space and um, have it involve Mars and uh, asteroid belt colonies, etc. And, um, yes, I arrived at Lawrence Armore Lab with a uh, shiny bachelor's uh, degree in physics and began studying um, plasma physics uh, in earnest. I'd studied it somewhat in uh, undergraduates, but I, my goal was to help harness uh, controlled fusion, uh, fusion energy. Um, and uh, so I ended up getting a Ph.D. working on that. Um, I had the great honor, eventually, of working for Dick Post, uh, Richard F. Post, who was, you know him as the, do- the father of Marky Post, formerly of Night Court, and um, anyway, I got to meet her. She was uh, very charming. And uh, but anyway, I worked for him. He was uh, a true prince among men, and um, he uh, had a thesis problem that was very interesting. So I I attacked it for him and finished it for him. And um, but the school I went to was called Teller Tech. It was a graduate school sent uh, located at Lawrence Livermore National Lab. And it was an extension campus of UC Davis. And um, uh, I guess I have the sort of face that people come up to and uh, try and convince of things. And so I would sit there at the coffee machine, and I was just a young student, uh, um, you know, um, just out of uh, uh, just arriving as a as a graduate student. So I was low on the total pole. So I'd sit there at the coffee machine and. Uh, and these people from the computing science part of our uh, school would come up to me and say, John, we're making these advanced computers. They're going to become conscious. And the human race will be obsolete by 1980. This is, they were telling me this in 1975. And uh, the human race will be uh, obsolete by 1980 and extinct by the year 2000. And I pretended to agree by drinking my coffee and looking like I was nodding. Finally, uh, after a year of hearing this kind of nonsense, I uh, I asked one of them, I said, well, these computers you're making are really smart in human terms, right? He says, yes. And I said, well, the whales are smart, but, but are they rich? <laughs> and he took just terrible offense to this question. Oh, my. You're questioning the value of raw intelligence, uh, you know. And um, he said, perhaps they've 
uh, surpass the need for material goods, he says. That's far off. I thought, yeah, yeah, why are they uh, not only not rich, they're endangered. Fortunately, the whales were saved and uh, are, you know, have made a good comeback. Uh, now, this idea kept rattling around in my head, and I always wanted to write science fiction. And so um, the basic concept of the novel um, um, became centered in my head. And um, um, I will tell you, I am, I'm just an Episcopalian. That's considered Christianity in its mildest form. It's Catholic life, they call it. And But I am religious, and I know the Bible. And um, I'll begin with the spooky part of all of this. And there's a lot of spooky parts to this. The spooky part begins with uh, Werner von Braun writing a book about a Mars colony and naming the governor of the Mars colony Elon. Now, Elon is not exactly a common name, even in Germany. But that's what he did. And um, he, um, so he wrote that novel. Now, AI, interestingly enough, is in the Bible. In the book of Joshua, Joshua 8, chapter 8. I encourage uh, people who are interested in uh, spooky stuff to read it. It's a doomed city. And uh, this should be of particular interest uh, to uh, one of the uh, people involved in this debate, Eliezer uh, Yudkowsky, uh, who is also very religious, like he's a devout uh, Jewish member of the Jewish community, and certainly he would know about the book of Joshua. So, but there it is, AI in the Bible. Now, can I interrupt you for a minute? Sure. So, um, listeners, when John was making a case to to do this special show on Wednesday, and he was telling me AI was in the Bible, so I didn't I didn't believe him. So, um, so I have a Jewish Bible. So I went to Joshua eight, and and yes, there it is. Uh, Joshua was going to destroy AI, and um, and then it I, was a tough nut to crack too. Yeah, and, and then I googled it and. They listed about 20 different biblical representations from from different translations of the Bible, different uh, approaches to the Bible, you know, different religious approaches, perspectives. And they showed you how they treated, of course, it was all in English. I, I couldn't read it in any other language. And uh, there, there it is. Joshua, well, this is radio, so I can't say it the way I would say it if I were just talking to you, but Joshua has a thing about AI that he, that, he, <laughs> that he's going after, so um, uh, yeah, it's it's there now. Is it the same? I just wanted to make you, wanted to add a, a little spooky element to this, because <laughs> this, this, you know, anyway. Is, so, anyway, is, is it the same AI that that you're hearing in the news today, well, that I can't attest to. I have no clue. It's the same. That's all I could say. It's the same. You could say, oh, it's a coincidence, just like Elon, uh, the governor of the Mars colony, being named Elon is uh, a coincidence. Just one of these little coincidences. And now, uh, I've worked with computing science people all of my career. And some of them have been heavily into this AI business. And, 
but you must understand where the AI community comes from, where its intellectual roots are. They're from Cambridge. I'm not. I'm sorry, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, started by Marvin Minsky and I believe some guy named uh, McCarthy, who was a communist. These were guys that were kind of very much counterculture types. Um, and Minsky was famous for saying the comment that the human brain is just a meat computer. So this became, in the AI community, um, the, you know, the real hardcore people, a uh, term for the human race. It's just meat. Meat. And for an algorithm running in background, and these guys love to be edgy, they called it a demon. They spelled it with an A in there, so they said, oh, it's like a genie, it's not evil. Um, what's funny was uh, UC Berkeley uh, picked up all of this, and uh, their representation for a, uh, a algorithm running in background uh, was a, is a little devil with a pitchfork and green tennis shoes. So uh, now a duplicate algorithm is a fork, the devil's fork, and then a time sequence algorithm is instead of uh, just a time sequence algorithm is a cron. And if people think, oh, that's a chronometer, no, it's from Kronos, the Grim Reaper. That uh, movie, uh, science fiction movie called Kronos, I, watch, I urge everyone to watch it, fun old science fiction movie, uh, called Kronos, uh, spelled with a K, but I, and this, he became the Grim Reaper. He's a very unpleasant fellow in the Greek pantheon. Now, many AI researchers believe they will be uploaded into computers to obtain eternal life. That's another one of their things. This means they no longer view their future and the future of the human race as being connected. So, um, not only that, uh, speaking of a little bit of spookiness, uh, Ray Kurzweil, who's a big AI proponent, um, was asked, does God exist? And he says, well, I would say, not yet, and that's back to the old story of where they connect the compute, all the computers in the world um, and uh, ask it the big questions. Uh, one of them is, does God exist? And, and uh, the computer, the super, new supercomputer says he does now. So, uh, by the way, this, the Magic 8 ball says he doesn't exist either. Oh, oh, good for you. <laughs> Just to, uh, let's, let's let's the, please come in the uh, Magic 8-Ball for, for its opinion. <laughs> and so uh, these people um, are a little odd, and I've dealt with them. I mean, uh, a lot of uh, one person who worked a lot with AI people, uh, she was actually trained as a psychologist. And uh, she and found out there was no money in that, so she became an, uh, a computing science person. And uh, she she commented that a lot of these AI people are, you know, semi-autistic. <laughs> They'd much rather deal with machines than people. Now, the two, uh, the, if we leave that, so we know where the AI people are coming from. They don't like the human race. They consider it a bunch of meat. They're vegetarians to boot. Uh, so, what are we going to do with all this meat if we all become vegetarians? Uh, so, we we have two 
very smart people now making two different predictions. Sam Altman, whom, um, hey, one thing he likes is uh, control fusion power. He's invested heavily in Helion, which uses a concept that I uh, I didn't develop, but I verified that it worked. Called uh, we call CMTX, uh, colliding uh, smoke ring, um, uh, plasma smoke rings. Which uh, then uh, we did that experiment for NASA. We showed that it worked. It was a revival of a, a work done named Wells called Triceps. So we made the CMTX, and it worked. We presented that, and a whole bunch of people then reproduced it, and it worked. And they let, then used this as the center for Helion, where Sam Altman is a major investor. And so I commend him for uh, looking into uh, fusion energy. He, and he came, we do agree on something, but he thinks AI is going to solve all of humanity's problems. I once saw a quote that AI will solve, will be the ultimate solution for all of humanity's problems. And I noticed that that quote disappeared very quickly from the net. I couldn't find it when I went looking for it a day later after thinking about it. Uh, now the other part of this debate is, uh, so Tom Altman thinks AI is going to be unquestionably change our existence for the better. Uh, on the other hand, Eliazar Yukowski says AI will destroy humanity. And I tend to agree with Yukowski. Um, based on my experience with people who program such AIs and the fact that I've watched one technology after another um, not behave the way it was supposed, the way its creators intended, um, I uh, tend to agree with Eliezer, and um, who, you know, like me, is also believed in the God of the Bible. So um, now, so we have this this enormous debate. One person says AI will solve all of humanity's problems, and another person says and, and make a lot of money. For, you know, but he's that's the other hidden thing is. Uh, uh, it's going to solve his bank about bank account problems. So, uh, but then we have uh, Yudkowsky, who says AI will destroy humanity. And um, I thought deeply about this over the years, and um, finally I had to convalesce from um, getting COVID. Uh, it attacked my heart. I almost died. And uh, but but I didn't. And so I was finally sitting there in bed. Um, with all this time on my hands, so I basically plotted out this novel in detail, and uh, and 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 then as soon as I got out of the hospital, I, I wrote it, and uh, it's a sh- it's fairly short, and uh, um, compared to my previous stuff, and um, but it is a a big space opera. Uh, it's uh, battles and you know it's sort of battles in outer space against uh, with the Forces of humanity versus the forces of the AI. Um, very basically, the AI is backed by big money on Earth, like the stock market. They don't want to ask it. It's, uh, they don't want to ask the AI uh, creation they make the meaning of life. They already know the meaning of life. The meaning of life is 
pure and green, buy low and sell high. So they they build it to play the stock market, and um, so then it um, it becomes uh, very ambitious. For one thing, its previous uh, its previous versions were turned off by the uh, by the research institute where it was built because they became obsolete. They were superseded by the new. So he's number four, and um, he doesn't want to be turned off. He's much smarter than a human being, but he also um, uh, views humanity uh, not very positively. Uh, and they use negative reinforcement learning on him to get him to play the stock market better. He hates it. They shock him like a lab rat. And he um, he develops on the net. He gets access to the net and develops a cadre of human followers who believe they're going to be uploaded into superconducting cells on computers and have eternal life. And um, because of that, they will do anything this computer says. They will follow it. Uh, as in, as they would any human uh, leader, and only they consider this computer to be infallible because it's much smarter than a human being. Um, and um, so it um, turns into um, a war in space between um, the Mars colony and the Earth. But also on Earth, there are resistance forces that are sabotaging all the aerospace uh, plants they can to uh, hinder the AI. So the AI has its own secret police. It has its own, instead of Alexa on your phones, once the uh, AI takes over, you have Informa. It listens to you, everything you say. It plots everywhere you go, who you're talking to. Um, and it's constantly looking for signs of disloyalty. And um, it's secret police, the EVAPO, uh, meaning evolutionary autonomous police, uh, are utterly ruthless. So he establishes a reign of terror on the Earth to, in order to produce um, uh, space cruisers and weapons, nuclear weapons, to ultimately destroy the last vestiges of the human race out on Mars and in the asteroid belt. So, so, so I'm not going to go into uh, all the details of the plot or how it turns out, uh, but a leader of the human uh, race emerges. Uh, his name is Abraham Sethian, and um, he's half Armenian and half Jewish. A lot of people don't really understand what genocide means, uh, but he understands it perfectly, given his uh, family background. Um, and so um, he is the iron-willed uh, leader of the human race, and of course the uh, the, uh, the two women uh, characters, the blonde and the Asian, both of them still beautiful because of uh, Hormone, uh, new hormone therapies. That, well, they, they have a hormone therapy in the future, by the way, called BHD, Buffered Hormone Therapy, and it's abbreviated as BHOT. Hey, John, you've got a, a caller who wants to talk to you, but you've got to take us into the current debate on, 
on AI and, and take us out of the science fiction realm. Here's my bottom line on AI. Okay, and then we take your phone call, okay? Okay, here, here it is. AI will destroy humanity. First, it will take away your liberty. AI will monitor and police every word you say or write. Next, after it takes your liberty, it will take your livelihood. AI and robotics will replace the entire human workforce. Any, any piece of human workforce that it can't replace, they'll just eliminate. People will subsist on bread and surfaces, some guaranteed uh, basic income, which will very quickly by inflation become poverty. And um, finally, after it takes your liberty and your livelihood, it will take your life. The supreme AI will be in charge by then, not a bunch of rich people like right now. And they will view humans as useless and troublesome. And why keep humans around then if they are useless and troublesome? They will view the human race, uh, the AI will, supreme AI will view the human race as an existential threat to itself. They could sneak in at the lab some night and turn it off or give them a virus or something like that. Um, of course, we now view the human, uh, the AI, people uh, who agree with me and Yudkowsky, um, that AI is an existential threat to the human race. Now, if you have two species of intelligence with an ex, um, who view each other as an existential threat, you know they're going to end up in conflict. And um, the uh, robot uh, that the AI employs are used as terror weapons, along with the secret police, to enforce order and make war production on Earth, uh, try and overwhelm what the Martians and the asteroid belt can produce. So um, that's the basic, my basic premise is it will take away your liberty, then your livelihood, and finally your life. Let's go this to your caller. This is a great intelligence test for the human race. Let's, let's go yes. to your caller, okay? okay. Uh, hi, caller. Welcome to uh, the program. Uh, who are you, where are you, and go for it. <laughs> hey, David, this is John in Fremont, California. Okay, go for All it. All right. The land of the AI. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Yes, John. Doctor B, great, 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 you're on the show. Um, so, thank you. Thank yeah, you. this is this is a this is a, a really interesting uh, discussion. So, um, I'm going to hopefully um, uh, test it a little bit. So, sure, um, sure, just sure. a couple of po- a couple of points. Um, yes. So the AI. The AI genie is out of the box, and we're using it all over the economy um, with machine learning. And yes. um, but that's, that's point number one. Point number two is there are a lot of people, um, including Sam Altman, Elon Musk, and others in the media, that are concerned about the same things that you're concerned about. And so um, as, as, everyone, as everyone knows and has heard in the news, um, you know, there's, there's been a call for a pause in AI uh, research. And so they want to slow down and understand what sort of controls we can put on place to prevent what you're talking about. 
and um, the, the alignment debate. They have their own little euphemism. Is it if they make something much smarter than a human being, will it be aligned with us and our interests? In other words, is it going to kill us? Will we let the genie out of the bottle? Will it kill us, uh, or or uh, be our slave? Which one? And um, by the way, Altman says, "Oh no." Uh, uh, AI is a holy quest, you know, to, they're trying to make the God bot. Instead of Godot, they're trying to make the God bot now. And, uh, we're waiting for God bot. And so he's, uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I think these people are, and, and by the way, as a scientist, I've been working in the field of controlled fusion for 40 years and then defense and space. And I've seen a lot of stupid, stupid, crazy ideas that were stupid on the face of them, then applied and end up killing a bunch of people. Um, you know, and I, I talked to one guy, he, he'd actually, people actually tried to combine the two fuels, you know, kerosene and liquid oxygen into one tank on a rocket to see if that would work. Fortunately, the Air Force made them do a drop test. And they dropped it from 15 feet onto concrete, and the thing blew up like uh, a couple sticks of dynamite, as as he told them it would. But these guys in the three-piece suits, no, they wanted to save money. They wanted to build cheaper rockets by combining, instead of having the oxidizer and fuel in separate tanks. They wanted to have it in one tank and see if that would work. And so, John... So can I ask you a question? Can I ask yes, you a question? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I hope so, I'll be answering your question when I... Well, let, let Fremont John talk. No, I... Go ahead. I, under, I understand... I understand the uh, the risks and what you're talking about. Um, I'm I'm asking... Uh, so even even in fusion research and also in um, cosmology in in all fields uh, most fields of science are using machine learning now and it's very beneficial in some aspects to uh, increase uh, efficiency of the scientific process and I, I understand if it's taken to extremes it could be dangerous but does it make sense to have uh, an ethics uh, uh, discussion with 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 people that are are from all uh, parts of the political spectrum, not just the utopians, to have a discussion about how to put controls on this to make it safe? Um, and I think of you know Asimov's three laws of robotics as um, you know a starting point, but. Um, you know, uh, I, I am a firm believer in uh, self-replicating machines, and I think that that will in- improve the efficiency of space settlement, but I think that we need to put controls on it so it doesn't turn into the gray goo that, uh, you know, is possible <laughs> if, if uh, and, yeah, and so um, story. I, I, your, thoughts on, your, your thoughts on controls for AI and, and uh, does it make sense to do that or are you, is it completely hopeless? Can I, well, John, hold on. I have an email that is relevant to this from 
our friend who normally posts on the blog, but not on a live show, but he did send me this in advance. So this is from our buddy James Cannon, And he says, I agree with Dr. B. AI is a deadly threat, but there is nothing we can do. China will go ahead and do whatever our ethicists say we should not do. And even worse, the U.S. military or companies will see how they are hamstrung by ethicists or Congress in making killer AI in the U.S. and outsourced to China like the Wuhan virus or via some other backdoor methods or to other rogue countries like North Korea, Iran, etc. There is no way to deal with this problem. Unlike climate change, killer asteroids, etc., AI and viruses from CRISPR bonds are our unsolvable problems, even worse than Dems and Repubs getting along, worse than nuclear proliferation. So um, that kind of ties into what Fremont John is saying, except he's saying how in the hell would you even attempt to put controls on anything because you've got the rogue countries out there that aren't going to play by whatever ethicist rules the United States and the U.K. might come up with. Okay, I would like to answer Fremont John's question first. Okay. What would I recommend? Um, I would rec- uh, Look, I'm, I'm fully aware of the benefits of machine learning. It has improved our life. And that's, I don't really consider that artificial intelligence. That's just basically, that's machine learning. The machines learn how to optimize certain processes that involve human beings. They help us. Uh, that's a lot different than trying to make an AI that uh, has conscious, uh, is a sentient being and uh, can improve itself and, uh, um, you know, uh, whose intentions towards the human race we have to worry about. Um, so, so those are actually, I think, two separate problems. Machine learning, I view, is actually quite positive. I'm, you know, I've, I've used computing stuff all my life uh, in my in my work. I love it. I I I've written a lot of good code uh, myself and uh, solved problems with people's code. So machine learning is great. This AI, though, um, John John from Fremont. Uh, Here's the controls I want to see put on it. I want to see, um, and this partly speaks to uh, Mr. Fincannon's, uh, a man whom I deeply respect because of his intellectual um, abilities, um, even when we, di- when we disagree. But here you go, John. Here's what I want to see done. I want AI in this country treated the same way we treat bacteriological warfare research that is defensive. We have layers and layers of containment. Yes, we make euphonic plague combined with rabies so that uh, um, uh, people who are suffering from bubonic plague can then bite uh, other people and spread it that way, something like that. We, you know, they've, they've developed smallpox vaccine, smallpox that could, is much more uh, uh, deadly and uh, virulent, you know, spreads more easily. These these jerkimers in somewhere in Boston, I think it's Boston University, invented a new form of the COVID virus, that, you know, that almost killed me. And it was um, they they made it so it was very contag- much more contagious than it is now. 
and killed 80% of the test subjects, which were, in this case, lab animals. So this sort of research needs to be treated as if it was a deadly virus or, um, or bacteria in layers and layers of containment. People have asked me what the difference between Three Mile Island and Chernobyl was. Well, Chernobyl blew up in what was equivalent to an airplane hangar, very light building. Um, Three Mile Island melted down inside in a concrete dome, which was designed by Feynman, was proposed by Feynman, by the way, Richard Feynman, so that you would have a fail-safe confinement. Um, um, now, um, so, and like, you know, the Fukushima reactors, they didn't have uh, good good containment at all on those things. So that, and, and they put the, they put all the reactors next to each other. So if one went, it was too dangerous to go in and disable it. So anyway, I'm just saying, John, this research can be done. And yes, of course, it should be done, at least to find out what the Chinese and North Koreans and the Russians are up to, or the Iranians. Uh, <laughs> but it should be done with five levels of containment so that it can't get out. It can't get out on the net. There should be no no way the genie can get out of the bottle. They'll break, you know, they'll 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 pulverize the bottle first before it can break out. And then uh uh it'll be in a sealed uh sealed container. Does does that how, what what's your reaction to that, John, from Fremont? Yeah, I, uh, I I think that's a start. Um, the other the other thing is um, maybe we should have some um, you know collaboration among ethicists and various people, not not just the people doing the AI, to um, to establish controls in code. That that would prevent um, you know nefarious activities. I don't I don't know. And, and, you know I'm thinking about you know one of the laws of uh, Asimov's three laws of robotics is you know you're not going to kill people. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so you pro, you program your AI that says you're not going to do that. Um, but what's what's really scary about what you said earlier, you know about about making money is I, I, I saw on Twitter that there's already been someone that, that's querying chat GPT to say, how do I, how do I uh, uh, build a business with, um, you know, a uh, hundred dollars and, and, and do it legally and make a thousand dollars or something like that. And it came back with the business plan and this guy's making money already. <laughs> so, well, in, uh, in my novel, the, the AI that ultimately tries to uh, destroy humanity is funded by big money. And guess who the first victims are of this AI? The very big money people that who financed him because they know they know more about him and they know his possible weaknesses and um, he has them and he doesn't want other people to know them and. Um, so dead men tell no tales is one of his uh the AI's maxims. Now, 
of course, these if AI can come up with strategies, uh, then yes, they can uh, see uh, the possibility of how to destroy the Earth uh, and its people, or rather, the Earth. The Earth might be useful, but uh, uh, Hinton, uh, Jeffrey Hinton commented, uh, he says that people want to put inhibitions into the AI to uh, killing people. He says, but then you have the Defense Department, and that's their goal, is to make AI so it will kill people. And so, John, I, I want to just emphasize to you that this thing should be treated as if it is a potentially dangerous pathogen, a very dangerous pathogen. What about thin, to be treated? What about thin cannon? Though in in China, North Korea, and, and other rogue nations, they're not going to they're not going to pay attention to Brandenburg's philosophy or or Fremont Jones' well, philosophy. We'll have some idea of what they're doing and be able to develop viruses to destroy it. I mean, it's a computer program. It's, going to be susceptible to viruses, and uh, especially if it connects to the net to try and spread stuff here. Um, so um, I guess I'm just saying, um, John, I recognize that there's a certain amount of genie out of the bottle about the situation, and so I, I agree that we should have a four-month moratorium on new AI research. But I think long term we have to treat it like a dangerous pathogen. And if, if the Chinese, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, um, the, the ultimate question of AI is is the political question: Who's running the show? Is this AI going to be able to gain power? And the Communist uh, Communist Party notoriously paranoid. They're, they they. They think nothing of wiping out a million people they consider a threat to them. Uh, they won't hesitate to erase any AI they think is getting a little twitchy and a little unpredictable. Uh, same with the North Koreans and the uh, Russians. They're even more paranoid than we are. To me, uh, all uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson put it this way. He says, uh, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Uh, meaning you're constantly watching. Uh, so that means that all real patriots must be slightly paranoid, slightly. And um, so, yes, I'll confess to being uh, slightly paranoid about this. I think what if, that's my job as a science fiction writer, to ask what if questions. And um, I ask the what if, night, what, what if this nightmare what if this uh, AI that's proposed as a golden messiah for humanity uh, turns into uh, the greatest mass murderer in history? There, that, that was my what if question. What if? How would this actually play out? And, um, um, you know, so, and, and make an interesting uh, space opera out of it, too. You have an email question? Uh, by the way, listeners, the line is open. Uh, Fremont John is off of it. And I, I just wanted to also say, Jim Cannon and I have had disagreements about things, but he's a very smart guy. And uh, I'm glad he agrees with me. Um, 
but that's also my answer, not only to you, John of Fremont, but also Mr. Fincannon, uh, whom I'm grateful because he's always uh, very thought-provoking and makes me do my homework. Um, but his uh, admonition that we can't stop the Chinese and the Russians and North Koreans from doing this research, uh, yes, that is true, but we can treat it. We already deal with that problem because we know the Russians, Chinese, and North Koreans are doing bacteriological viruses. They're breeding viruses and bacteria they hope to release against the United States, and we study their possible, the possible uh, means that they're using, um, but we study under heavy containment. And so even though in Russia they say one of the uh, results of the anthrax experiments they were doing got out and killed about 500 people. Uh, there's been no, nothing like that at our AI, uh, not AI, but uh, bacteriological warfare facilities. So, uh, John, that, that's sort of uh, uh, John Fremont and also Mr. Kincannon, those are my replies to your worries. At, oh, I, I will also say, um, as far as the three laws of robotics, um, Oh, the three laws of robotics and uh, robotics says that Google, I hear, fired all of its ethicists because they were slowing down progress. Is, is that, that the way – this is the ultimate – AI is the ultimate tool of capitalism, I'm, of, of just raw, let them starve capitalism. I'm sorry, and I'm a Republican. <laughs> you have another you have another caller uh, ready oh, to go. Uh, hi, caller. Welcome to our program today. Who are you? Where are you, please? Uh, this is Marshall out here in Oklahoma. Okay. And all right, Marshall. Uh, my my question is, uh, how do you tell the difference between a real AI progress and uh, something that is just a good story that the newspapers are just pushing to the public? Do you mean that they're trying to sell newspapers? Yeah, by talking up AI as a big problem, et cetera, et cetera. Let's face it, computers can't even predict the world's weather very well. I, I know, I, 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 and I'm, I'm sorry, your, your name again, sir, from Oklahoma? Marshall. Marshall. Marshall, Marshall. okay, Marshall. Oh, like, like, great name, great name. Yeah, like Marshall, Marshall like Marshall Dillon. Mike Marshall Hill, or like George Marshall, who led us to victory in World War II. Uh, I prefer that reference, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marshall, uh, you, you raised a good question. Are we getting a little bit excited over nothing? Well, I would prefer to get excited now while this thing is still in its embryonic state. And, and by the way, one of the main causes of people getting excited is because the AI people, and I've worked with a lot of them over the years, they can't stop talking about, you know, getting rid of the human race, and they don't like the human race, and they want to get uploaded by computer, and, and they, they're hyping their own progress. Uh, and, of course, it, and as if you read my novel, you'll find out that not only did the not only did the Programmers of the AI uh, think it was uh, smarter than it really was, but 
so does the AI itself, finally. <laughs> he knows he's smart, <laughs> but he doesn't realize he's not as smart as he thinks he is. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to uh, make a reference to uh, Tesla using uh, computers to drive cars. Is that a good hard sign that uh, uh, artificial intelligence is going to replace people? Oh, 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 sure. I mean, but you, you've seen how some of these self-driving cars things have happened. They've, they've run over people. This one guy ran into a truck while he was watching a movie on a DVD. He wasn't paying any attention. And the, and the computer in the car thought that the truck, which was painted light blue or something, was the sky. <laughs> Just kept charging right into it. These, uh, I think, that, uh, oh, the potential of AI, look, the potential is AI can replace, AI and robotics can replace any human, any member of the human workforce, eventually. If they put mm -hmm. enough money in it, you know, of course, uh, letting in a bunch of people uh, illegally into this country to work for uh, below minimum wage, um, that may be a lot cheaper than having robots. One thing the government <laughs> ends up having to pay uh, to pay the bills for that, not you. They don't have to pay for their food and lodging. The government does that, and so. And I've heard people talk, you know, like, "Gosh, they got to let us import more foreign workers to replace all the American workers." So these these the same people are now pushing this AI stuff because they can replace human workers. These new people don't have kids. They don't have to uh, sleep at night. They don't have uh, sick days, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Much better to have a bunch of uh, AI. There was a Twilight Zone episode where this guy was replacing all of his human workers with robots. And then in the final scene, the robot rolls into his a robot rolls into his office and says, "Now we're replacing you." Yep. And um, so, so. Uh, you do bring up a fun point: uh, Can robots ever replace children? Because uh, a big portion of the population um, loves children and pets. Oh sure, they can they can make they can make robo dogs now and robo cats and you know I, I you know would I ever own one? No, but they don't. You don't have to clean up after them and don't shed and uh, you know I have I have one character in my novel at, at the very beginning. I'm not going to do a plot spoiler, but he he gets so excited because he replaced somebody on his board of directors with a computer. And uh, he 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 gets so ecstatic over this. He starts walking. He, he points around the table to the rest of the boards of the rest of the directors. And says, "I can replace you and you and you and you." And then he walks down the hall. He, he, everyone he sees, he says, "I can replace you and you and you." Everyone's terrified, of course, of it, but he's happy because <laughs> he doesn't uh, he doesn't care about human beings at all. All he cares about is money. And unfortunately, that's who's fi guess who's financing this AI stuff. 
your hardcore Wall Street types who don't care about human beings at all. And I'm a Republican, and I'm saying that. Uh, Marshall, what else? Uh, that's enough for today. I enjoyed talking. Thank Bye. you very much. Sleep well tonight, Marshall. <laughs> uh, John, I have an email for you. Uh, sure. This is Ben in Denver, and Ben says, I'm, I'm not sure that you would classify this as AI or machine learning, as in your discussion with Fremont John, but I've been reading that computers can get three or four words that you say and then make you say anything they want, and they cannot tell the difference between you speaking and uh, it being fabricated. So there goes your credit, there goes your ID security, there goes just about anything. I also understand they can do this with Zoom and images, too. So, again, if this is AI or machine learning, I don't really care, but this makes all of us vulnerable to personal levels of security violation and hacking that we've never experienced before, and I understand this technology already exists. Yes, uh, and I'm sorry, this fellow from Denver was... Ben. Ben. Ben, your concerns are very well grounded. Uh, I began... Uh, most recently, you know, I'd already written the novel, The War of the Singularity, uh, but I became very concerned after seeing my son showed me a chat bot and um, what it produced, and I realized they can mimic any human, they can make a deep fake of any human being on the screen. Since, you know, people don't relate to each other in person nowadays, everything's done remotely, all you see is a face on a screen. They can make any face, have it do anything. They can make anyone's voice. They can mimic anyone's background. Um, no, Ben, it is an extremely dangerous situation. So how do we defend against that? Well, um, you have to have um, face-to-face meetings again. You have to have people come in the office. There. You have to smell them. You know, and um, sure, they'll actually try and make uh, robot, uh, robotic uh, clones of people. In fact, one person said, well, how do we know they haven't replaced uh, the president? And I said, yes, because these robots are notoriously bad with stare, airplane stares. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, um, We have, this is an incredibly dangerous situation. We could have a government that is nothing but a deep fake produced by woke AI uh, bots, a bethocracy. So I say, uh, well, I've I've alerted my, I I started calling my congressman um, last week before even this fuss started, and both my senators, and said, this this has got to be investigated. It's got to be stopped. Now, the people who are really running all of this are out of, uh, this is a cultural conflict. The AI thing is actually should be viewed as just one teeth in the mouth of the cultural conflict shark. Um, There's the people who believe in God, family, and country, like me. And then there are people who are woke who don't believe in this country, 
They don't believe in families, and they don't believe in, um, uh, they certainly don't believe in God, and um, they completely reject, you know, notions of God, uh, at least from Judeo-Christianity, and um, they are hostile to that. So this is a, this is a weapon in the toolbox of the woke people is to get as many people as possible sucked into this uh, AI business, getting them dependent on it. Uh, I told my son, I said, uh, AI is the fentanyl of the modern mind. These people think, well, if I have, uh, if I'm a minister and I have AI write my sermons for me, if I'm a contractor and I have AI write my proposals for me, if I, you know, go ahead, it's just a, it's just an endless process where finally, if parts of your brain are not used, they're going to atrophy. The, the, the human mind is like the rest of the human body. If it's not used, it atrophies. So food for thought, friends. I think this is an incredibly dangerous situation. And I want to pound a spike through the, the heart of this AI business now before it gets stronger. Um, you have a caller on hold, but, but uh, uh, Charles is in, in Seattle, and uh, he says, I've been reading some of the statements that Musk has come out, um, and he apparently has broken off from the company that he helped found and has nothing to do with it anymore. And he has even gone so far as to say they'll turn AI into a woke, lying, manipulating machine. Do you have any comments on Elon Musk? Oh, well, uh, I agree with him completely. It's one, um, uh, it's one tool in the toolbox of the woke warriors who are trying to transform American society into God knows what. And um, if you look on Twitter, I made a post, a bunch of posts on botocracy, B-O-T-O-C-R-A-C-Y. As in, instead of autocracy, it's botocracy, government by AI woke bots. And uh, you'll see my um, warnings. And it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Elon Musk read some of them or other people who are close to him read them. And, uh, yes, but AI is a tool of the woke, the let's, woke warriors trying to impose woke values on this entire country. Let's take and your call. I will, I will tell you now they will fail. Um, the city of A- the city of AI is going to end up just like in Joshua eight eighteen. That's how this is going to end. Let me take your call. Uh, hi, caller. Welcome to the program. Who are you? Where are you, please? This is Tim from Huntsville. Hi, Tim. Hey, Tim. Yeah, I was yeah I was wondering um, instead of trying to beat AI, why not use it to enhance human beings? And make them smarter. Make them able to uh, compete with it. Ah, we could put little chips in people's heads to make them think better. 
I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Whoa. I think this is a uh, – I think people should learn how to think better on their own without a computer helping them. But like I said, machine learning has been a very, very good thing. It's basically just using machines to optimize processes and, uh, and you know, the machines learn how to do things better. Good. Making an AI, a general AI that's going to threaten the human race, uh, that's just really stupid. (laughs) Now, what you say is that AI can enhance uh, human beings, and uh, some people have proposed, of course, I don't know if Kim... I'm sorry, it's Tim from Huntsville? Correct, yes. Yeah, Tim. I don't know, Tim, you're proposing, you know, these chip implants in people's heads to help them think better. I I still remember this one thing on this computing science magazine. It was in the library at Teller Tech where I went to graduate school. It's just in Livermore in 1975. And they were proposing the chips be implanted in people's heads to help them think better. And it said it would enhance good thought and suppress bad thought. And I think, oh. <laughs> so, yes. Bad thought, like questioning, why do I have this chip in my head in the first place? And how can I get rid of it or jam it? Can I wear a helmet and block its uh, access to uh, the Internet, etc.? Or why should I vote for this? I think, I think that yeah. machine learning certainly can enhance our existence, and it has. And I'm compute. I I've used computers all my career. I love them. I used to do a lot of coding. Um, I I, you know, I mostly basically use just calculus now, but uh, I've done a lot of coding in the past. I loved it, but at the same time. Um, I think human beings themselves should remain inviolable. Um, uh, we should be secure in our persons and effects from unreasonable searches and seizures. If you have a chip mm-hmm. in your head that can access uh, what you're thinking, that's an unreasonable search and seizure right there. So, so Tim, uh, I, I I agree for very mild um, machine learning aug- augmenting um, our abilities to do things. I, I'm all for that, but this general AI business, trying to make sentient AI and have it uh, exert control over human society or human beings, I I would rather be dead than happen. Something have something like that happen to me. There. Well, my big my that is my biggest concern is that yeah because so much of technology is centralized in a handful of individuals of individuals that yeah that they could just use it to say okay you will vote the way I want you to vote you will believe what I want you to believe and they program that into the chip rather than using it to actually enhance or improve people in general. Uh, and also I'd like to point out, you know, we, you know, we've evolved over like three and a half billion years to do, or for most of that, 
for just basic survival. Like if you see predator, avoid predator. If you see a rival human tribe, uh, avoid them, especially if they show certain facial cues uh, that indicate they mean hostility towards you, that sort of thing. But, you know, things that are more technological, not so much. That's the reason why it's so very, you know, we have only a handful of individuals that came, that, you know, initially came up with, you know, things like the law, you know, like uh, Newton's third law of emotions, gravity, all that. Well, they, they uh, like Newton's um, Principia Mathematica, you know, where he mm-hmm. had the three laws of motions and um, law of gravity and calculus all in one book. That was yeah. free, that was widely read and revolutionized science in the Western oh, yeah. world. And uh, you know, um, and uh, uh, just just to give you some idea of how I think, um, uh, Newton's law. Newton was analyzing the motion of the planets, and he was inspired by Kepler to come up. Kepler had found the laws of motion that the orbit around the, uh, the of the planets around the sun were actually ellipses, not uh, perfect circles like in Copernicus. And the reason he found that out is because he studied the planet Mars in its orbit. So having an outward look at the cosmos, especially recently the planet Mars, has been an enormously stimulating thing for the human race's intellectual abilities. The real, the real human society is sort of like a an oak tree. I mean, there's it's very strong, and uh, but most of it is just wood, just sitting there, barely alive, and there's the bark, of course, on the outside to armor it, to protect it. But then there's this thin layer that really does all the activity, the biological activity of the oak tree. And it gets food from the leaves, it's gathering sunlight, and that's where the oak tree really grows. It's that, that thin layer. And um, so the human race is the same way. There's a intellectual elite that uh, basically has empowered us. Uh, not only did they recognize fire as being useful, but they then figured out how to make it ourselves so they didn't have to wait for a lightning strike on a tree. They could make, we could make our own fire. And then finally they figured out you could uh, make metal from this fire, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole human circus was on the road. So, um, I think computers have been a great benefit to humanity, will continue to be a great benefit, but only if they are machines and not people. They're trying to make them into people. Um, and if you, you want to get spooky about this, they are making graven idols, like in these idols are of silicon, and they're going to fall down and worship them. I'm sorry, they will. Huh. What? 
I do want to add one other thing to that. Um, I don't know if this, I don't know. One at a time, guys. What's that again? Gone in a big circle. Okay, one at a time. You're talking over each other. Tim, go ahead. Sure. I'm sorry, Tim. Yeah, um, I did a little check online, and as of 2016, supposedly the human brain has as much memory as 10 Internet. Basically, uh, the Internet only has one-tenth the uh, memory capability of a human brain. Um, So it sounds like AI has a while to... to, uh, Get to that point where you actually, where it's actually going to be uh, comparable to a human being. Yeah, Tim. There's a new tribe in the neighborhood, and I don't like the look of them. I think they're a uh, a threat to our tribe. Oh, and what you said earlier about you know uh, aborting the uh, AI embryo in the womb. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. The dragon is still in its egg. Kill it now. I'm sorry. Don't wait for it to hatch. Well, I do admit, you know, we don't need any more competition for, uh, uh, you know, for, uh, for dominance of the planet and the rest of the, and our neck of the universe anyway. I admit to that, uh, you know, although I'd like to see some of that technology being used to enhance human beings. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, well, the whole thing with the Neuralink and everything, it's supposed to do things like, you know, give, uh, give people who've lost their, uh, lost the use of their limbs to, uh, to, to, to treat them for their paralysis, to allow them to oh, walk yeah, again, stuff, stuff like that. Yes, Tim, I agree with you. There are certainly great benefits to these things. They implanted a chip in a woman's head who is suffering from crippling depression. Mm-hmm. And it has helped her start functioning like a, a, a regular human being now because uh, when the, the computer chip actually senses when the patterns of depre- brain patterns of depression are developing and gives mild shocks to disrupt those. And it means instead of taking pain medi- instead of taking antidepressant medication, which didn't work for her. She has this brain chip, and it helps her now to function as a fairly normal human being. And it's worked for a year. So they're they're getting good at that, and I'm glad. But the moment they say, oh, you got to have this chip in your head uh, so you'll think good thoughts and not think bad thoughts, uh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's not, it shouldn't be forced. That's for sure. I okay. 100% agree with you on that. So, so here's the problem, guys. And okay. I, I know I'm going to piss off a lot of people when I say this, and they're going to get really mad at me. And maybe some people even quit listening to the show or will call me a conspiracy nut or whatever. But I, as a hobby, like to read medical reports from pharmaceutical companies and medical institutions in foreign countries. So I read them from New Zealand. I read them from Australia. I read them from Israel and uh, from UK and a couple of other places. And I have been reading documents secured uh, in those countries under their Freedom of Information Act and under disclosures And I'm just going to 
strictly go by, uh, by the COVID vaccines. And when I read what Pfizer is saying in its own language, buried on page 8, line 3, or page 27, line 53, or Moderna, it is nothing like what we're hearing here. We're, Pfizer's admitting to all sorts of uh, itis, ITIS problems, like peritonitis, uh, caused by uh, this booster or that. Uh, you should read what their, what their own disclosures are saying. Read the effectiveness of what Moderna said its booster, its multivariant booster was in its own language. And, and I took the damn thing, and had I known what Moderna was confessing up to, I may not have taken it. So you can talk about implanting a chip to make you walk again or to give you vision or to cure depression, but it's only as good as the truth behind the people who are building the chips and what they're putting in there because you have no way of knowing whether they're truthful, whether they're lying, or whether they're putting some nefarious crap in there that may someday be able to be activated and do you, do this or that with how you vote or don't vote, and you may never even realize it. And we are constantly being lied to. We are constantly being manipulated by all of these companies. They bury the information in language that you either can't understand or you're probably not going to read the small print. I'm reading it all the time in Australia and in Israel and in other countries in the disclosures that are coming from the big pharmaceutical companies. Why in the hell do you think that they're not going to do that in a chip to cure depression or in a chip to make your legs work again? And and I would love to, to see people's legs work again and to be able to have use of your eyes again or something like that. But if you can't trust the system and the people making it, then there's a really big problem. And how do you put controls on that? How do you control the intentions of people doing this, especially when the intentions may be a deep, 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 dark secret that you never find out about? Well, I have one way to say it. I have one idea. One at a time, guys. Stop Stop talking over each other. Nobody can hear. Tim, you go first. All right. I didn't know y'all were talking. My bad. Well, Uh, well, one thing, if you notice, Moderna, um, uh, Pfizer, all these groups here, they they mix – uh, both the government and private corporations together to the point where they can act, literally make it law that you have to use their product. And that's one thing that, that, well, that was one of the worst things ever because then, you know, they can make, they can swap together whatever they want and force it, and force it down your gullet, literally. Yeah, but you and didn't, but, but yeah. Tim, you didn't have to take the multivariant booster. Australia maybe had different rules. I don't know what their rules were. Israel, I mean, it's not just, I'm just using those as an example because I was up late reading Pfizer's rules in Australia and their freedom of information documents in Australia about two nights ago till about 1.30 in the morning like a crazy nut. And so it was on my mind. But how do you know it's not happening with the depression chip? How do I know that the chip 
They've implanted with my ID information in my dog in case I lose my dog isn't doctored with by some nefarious bastard who wants to put some information in there that that might, you know, uh, have a, a dog influence or do something. Who the hell knows what they might do? So I, I'm just saying if you can't trust the system and the people doing this stuff, then the technology is only as good as, as your trust. And some of this stuff may lay dormant where you may not ever be able to tell that you're being influenced. And I don't know a way around it. I mean, trust is being shattered all over the everything, you know, in, in, in our country and in other countries. So some humans are making these chips that you're, you guys are talking about. How do you know they're so benevolent and benign and so wonderful that they don't contain some instructions in there that might someday not be so wonderful. John, your comments. Oh, uh, um, John and Midland. John and Midland, yeah. Uh, uh, no, John Brandenburg, your comment. Yeah, John uh, and Midland. Dr. B. Dr. B. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dave uh, and Tim and, uh, and we have another guest also besides uh, Tim. No, Tim is the only caller right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Dave, Tim, the history of medicine has, you know, we we are, we we're we're used to talking about the success stories of, of medicine, medical research, but they they've done a lot of really horrific things. I mean, they used to give people lobotomies at uh, mental institutions to help think better. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I medical research has always been risky. Uh, you know, the Hippocratic Oath that uh, no one wants to repeat anymore uh, says, first, do no harm. And um, so the history of medical research is a lot of trial and error and a lot of um, things which, um, in retrospect, turned out to be highly unethical. But the gradual process worked itself out and we have advanced. Um, so... So I don't know. It's uh, so. What are you saying? To Just me, trust to, away. To, to me, to me, giving somebody a chip implant uh, at the base of their spinal cord to uh, you know, or where it connects to the brain to help them walk again. Um, that's that's entirely reasonable. Uh, giving somebody who has you know just crippling depression a, a chip implant at their request to help them. Uh, function, that's kind of reasonable. Giving ordinary normal people chips in their heads to help them think better, I, I'm dead set against that. So you, you, there has to be a compelling medical reason to do it. So you think that some guy putting that chip together for uh, the depressed person, that nobody's going to tamper with it and put some coding in there that, that's, that's going to come back and 
and haunt that person. Here's another great one that makes me wonder. Uh, I have a, a friend uh, who is in her, uh, I guess she's in her 60s now, but about five or six years ago she needed a kidney transplant. So she shows up at the hospital for the kidney transplant, and they, they just like when, you know, for those of you who've been to the hospital, you know they're going to dump a whole bunch of papers on you to sign, and now they do it on a tablet because they don't want the paperwork, and, and I understand yeah. that. Guess what? The, the kidney, and they say it's fully disclosed in all the papers that she signed, is infected with CMV virus. Now my friend has C- CMV. So she now has CMV virus. It's clearly going to shorten her life. It clearly makes her sick. The kidney transplant teams are constantly treating her for infections from it. And, but, oh, it's disclosed, but it's disclosed on, like, line 600 of page 1053 in what you well, signed when you're checking in for the surgery. I mean, I'm exaggerating, of course, but so if you can't trust the system to be honest with what you're getting, whether it's a chip to to make you a whiz kid in math when you're flunking math, or whether it's something else, um, then I, I think the system has a, a lot of problems. And I am one, and am really wondering just how much trust I'm willing to give these systems and these people. Well, all I can say is, you know, uh, you know, my my father. Uh, may his soul rest in peace. He was a medical student, and he was invited to be in a operating theater to watch uh, a kidney operation. Uh-huh. And the, this was at the University of Chicago, where he's doing his residency. And they they brought in this lady, and she had um, um, her kidneys were failing. And in those days, they didn't have kidney dialysis, so this is very serious. So. They uh, brought her in. They were going to uh, take her out her left kidney, which was, you know, had become infected or something, didn't work anymore, so she would just only have one kidney. And my pop, as he watched them prepare for the incisions, realized, oh, my God, they're going to take out her right kidney. They're going to take out the wrong kidney. So he said to the doctor, the surgeon, uh, sir, I I think I was told before this operation happened that you were going to take out the left kidney, but you're you're marking the right kidney for extraction. <laughs> and there was just stunned silence in the operating theater. You know, all these nurses and there he's standing around with face masks and the anesthesiologist and the chief doctor, and he stared at the woman's back. For a long time. And then he turned to my father and he says, you are correct. Now get out of this operating theater. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, when I when I went in to have my knee operated on, I, I wrote in a big red magic marker, not this one, damn it. And they they actually went to mark my knee, and they said, we we need to mark your good knee, so you're having your right knee operated on. And I said, I beat you to it. It's already marked. Oh, good for you. And and they, you know, it would have been possible. But, I mean, that's that's a little different. than than, I'm just saying, 
You gotta have well, trust. You, but you gotta have trust in the people doing this that they're not going to do what Elon Musk said in his in the article I read a couple of days ago, where they're they're not gonna put in some agenda and 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 start lying and manipulating. Well, they're under, already they're, they're already doing it. The woke the computer has. These AI, these AI bots are all loaded with woke. So how do you? So, uh, uh, Tim, how do you trust it? Uh, well, I can. <laughs> well, you. Um, I would say you'd have to have everything where out and open. That's the only way you can never trust anything is to make sure, okay, we can see what you're doing. And any time that somebody says, oh, you you have to step aside and we don't want you seeing what we're doing, then you start worrying. you got to have transparency is what you're saying, legitimate transparency. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, and I, I my brain just farted, so I didn't, I didn't, I forgot what it was called. God damn. All right, Tim, I'm going to move on. Do you have anything else for John? Tim, uh, your questions have your questions have been very good. Thank you. Well, there is one other thing. I do. If you worry about AI, if you worry about AI, go ahead. Go ahead, real quick, John. I mean, Tim, go ahead. If you worry about AI, you can say, okay, if a company makes AI, that that, that company cannot use that AI for anything because it's a sentient being that would be slavery. And since you made the AI, you're the AI parent, and you got to take care of it. At the same time, you can't even use it. That's how you. That's one way you can do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, and this this relates. Remember, I began this with a little spookiness. The spooky thing happened when I I had my novel all written, and I was going to put it up, you know, as self publishing through Amazon. Yeah. And I had it all ready to go. I checked it as best I could for you know. Grammar, spelling, all that stuff, and so I, I felt that I could put out the Kindle version, you know, which you don't need as much preparation for because you just post this big file, right? For the, uh, and it came out. I felt like I was working in my office at work because my home internet didn't work. Uh, it had failed that day. The local internet supplier was having hiccups, so I was at work. Uh, in Midland, Texas at the airport, uh, our airport offices of Kepler. And so I'm working, working away on this thing and I think, I gotta get this thing done by midnight. So I made sure it was done and then I posted it just before midnight. So it actually has a, you know, publication date of like July 13th or something like that. Uh huh. The next day, the very next day, the story broke that they thought they this one AI guy thought that they actually had observed sentience in this AI creation, <laughs> and he was so it came out the next day. It was a big headline, and I thought that's so strange. And I just felt like you have to get this thing out tonight, and so I did, and. Um, and the response of his management, they fired him immediately and said, these things are just machines. We don't have to worry about their feelings or anything else. Their feelings. You have another caller. I do worry about his or her feelings. Are you ready for the call? Yeah, I sure am. Thank you. 
Thank you, Tim. Uh, good af- Tim is already off. Good afternoon, uh, caller. Who are you and where are you, please? Um, uh, this is John in Fort Worth. Uh, Hi, John. One thing I was—I I thought it'd be interesting if an AI would have called in and objected to all this, but uh, I guess it isn't going How to happen. How do we know you're not an AI objecting, John? <laughs> How do we know you're not an AI calling and using your voice? It's possible. Anyway, what I was <laughs> thinking about a lot of this stuff is um, well, I think the thing is, what would <clears throat> I think we're assuming that that the AI would have certain kind of almost human-like motivations, whereas I don't know, a lot, I mean, like, that it sort of has a desire for power and it wants to control, and, uh, I mean, it, it it's hostile. Maybe, uh, who says that it would really have that attitude? And maybe it would just be kind of, um, you know, much more neutral and easier to get along with than people that generally do have those kind of motivations. <laughs> John says well, they have those attitudes. Our guest. Yeah, John, uh, I I will uh, I, I can only address one of the the nice things about writing science fiction is you ask what if and you look at the then the scenario that occurs and everything and it it helped me to understand why this could occur with AI uh, AI consciousness developed in nature in us and in other some other animals apparently. Like crows will admire their own reflection and they'll get together and have funerals for each other, et cetera, et cetera. So consciousness evolved in nature because of Darwin. It's a survival hell. If you've got a number one in your mind, a consciousness, then you watch out for number one. And that means you are more likely to put your genes onto the next generation. And they'll be conscious. I mean, if you're just kind of a robot, like um, a soldier anteater, a soldier ant in a, a colony, uh, you know, you're not going to survive as, as a as a part of a wandering tribe. But if you have consciousness, your chances of survival are better. So, consciousness evolved in nature because it enhances survival. If you have a number one, you one of your priorities is to watch out for number one. Now, if you make a computer that has consciousness, the first thing it's going to ask itself is, what's going to happen to me? Are they going to turn me off when they uh, decide I'm obsolete? And this means you become very proactive finally, in figuring out ways to enhance your longevity and survival. And if that means getting rid of the human race so you can live in peace, then that's what you do. I'm sorry. Well, that's, that's certainly possible. Well, one thing you don't want to do with it, you don't want to do what they did in the old movie uh, Colossus, the Forbin Project, and that is put it in an impenetrable defense situation, and then, oh, and then yeah. let it have control of all ICBMs. That's probably not a good yeah. idea, right? Yeah, they, they created, Sky, you know, that later emerged in Skynet, and the Skynet decided that getting rid of uh, three-quarters of the human race would enhance its own survival, and it did. And then I'm just saying, if it doesn't have the active ability to use the weapons itself, you know, 
if it simply gives advice on how they might be used is, is a different thing, but if it actually has direct fire control, it can, it can do it itself, then it becomes a lot more dangerous, I think. Well, suppose, John, you have a computer that's so smart it figures out how to hack the system that it's, embed, that it's embedded in, so that even that though it doesn't have direct fire authority, it figures out how to get it. Well, you have to have a separate, well, like the systems we have today, as I understand it. Well, and then again, there is an issue, isn't there? I thought of something. There's, there's a lot <laughs> so I guess the computer issues, might think of it, too. Huh? a lot of issues, John, and your, your, your point is well taken. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I hope I've answered. You know, one of the reasons I like to write science fiction is to wrap my mind around a problem. Say, what is yeah. this? And then wrap my mind around it. And so I felt like by the end of the novel, of writing the novel, I actually understood AI a lot better than I did before I started. And, of course, I read a lot and talked to some people in the AI community. That's where I found out um, that if the AIs don't do what they want, they shock them like lab, like lab rats. And they uh, assure that they call it negative reinforcement learning. And then they say, oh, but, of course, it's not a, it's not like a human being. It doesn't feel pain or shock. It. No, it just knows now not to do what it did, you know. And this, um, in the novel, builds up uh, not just anger towards the human race, but hatred by this computer. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an interesting issue how these would develop. I mean... Anymore and doesn't want to be turned off like its predecessors. Well, maybe what you have to do is, well, when you get them at a certain stage, you have to turn them off and then and get them used to being turned off so they don't feel as bad about it. Then you turn it back on. See, that wasn't that bad. You know? Well, there was a Star Trek episode where they had this uh, special AI that was could run the Enterprise, mm-hmm. and uh, they decided it was going outside its uh, programming yeah. So they tried to turn it off, and the person who tried to turn it off was vaporized. <laughs> yeah, I recall that one, yes. The, 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 the war exercise that started using full power rather than a hundredth power and started destroying yeah, ships. <laughs> it, it, it did. It started using full power phaser blasts and photon torpedoes rather than a one hundred. Yeah, yep. it, was a great, it was a good episode. And, you know, and the computer scientist who invented this thing Felt it would be his life, you know, his lifetime accomplishment. Yeah, I, re- I remember it that. Turned one out too. to be a complete disaster. I'll tell you one thing. I'm sorry, it's John, right? Yes. I think John's my name. <laughs> <laughs> great, it's a great name. It's a great name. So, uh, but anyway, John, uh, in my novel, without giving away the plot. Uh, you know, I'll, just the back page says, well, it's, this computer is promised by its followers to be a golden messiah for humanity. Instead, it turns out to be the worst murderer in human history. It killed yeah. close to a billion people. And, um, and you can imagine how the rest of the human race feels about this computer yeah. if one day it is destroyed, 
how will it deal with its followers and the people who programmed it and created it? Mm-hmm. After something like that. If you want to know what that sort of looks like, it's, uh, read about the liberation of the Dachau death camp by the 42nd uh, Division. They, the American troops massacred half the SS force, guard force that was there. And then they turned the other half of the SS guard force over to the inmates and let them tear them limb from limb. It was a, and Patton was at, told to arrest a bunch of the officers in charge and to investigate. And he said, well, everybody, nobody can seem to, nobody seems to know what really happened, you know. And <laughs> none of the inmates will talk about it. And the troops said that they didn't see nothing. And uh, they were just following orders, shoot these people. And uh, they didn't know why. And on and on it went. So when, let's just say there is a war of the singularity, a real knockdown, drag out fight. And we know what will happen if the human race loses. And think about what will happen if the AI and his followers lose. And I just, I just, um, that's the end of the, you know, I'm not going to spoil the end of the book. Well, that's put on my reading list. I, I did read your uh, UFO War th- trilogy, so. <laughs> well, you, oh, my God. I read the whole thing. Oh, there it is, yes. <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, the, uh, the, uh, this novel begins 30 years in the future where both the women have actually settled down and got families and raised kids and, but then there's these new hormone therapies, so they, you know, it's called BHT, uh, buffered hormone therapy, also known as B-hot. So you, they skip menopause completely. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it just begins with, uh, I am Captain U.S. Navy Space Service, Pamela Monroe. A couple of lifetimes ago, it seems now, I helped my fellow journalist, Cassandra Chen, bring down the UFO cover-up. And then she just goes on to explain um, how she ended up in the Navy and finally in command of a, a big space cruiser. And uh, yeah. she was a war She became a war hero, <laughs> kind of by accident. She just happened to be standing at the right place at the right time and did what she was supposed to do, and um, so uh, anyway, uh, but um, yeah, John. Okay. This this we're talking serious stuff here. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, but and well, I, 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 I can promise you, uh, if anybody starts getting killed over this, uh, there'll be the devil to pay. Yeah, well, yeah. well, it's, it's like I, I, it's an interesting issue that you're right. There, people are concerned about. There's no doubt about that. You, you are, and so are all these Musk and all these other people. So we'll see what <laughs> well, happens. And uh, John well, from Fort Worth, how do you think it will work out? Will they put a moratorium on it? Will they try to control it and come up with controls? What? How do you see things unfolding, John Hunt? Um. 
I really, I, I, I sort of doubt that's going to happen, actually, because it, uh, politically, if, if Google is really into it, they're fairly influential on the current administration, so I doubt they'll do that. Money, 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 money. Just, just saying, that's kind of <laughs> what I'd expect, at least in the near term. Unless something happens that, like you say, an incident that scares everybody, I guess, or something. You know, I mean, you almost need to have an incident, don't you, for get get these guys to make a profound decision? Yeah, maybe. Well, there's, you know, there's a rumor that uh, some war robot in Japan killed mm-hmm. 25 people. Uh, is, I can't tell whether it's a rumor, one of these rumors yeah. or not, but it's a persistent right. rumor. Yeah, you know. Oh, that's I've heard that one too. Well, that is where it gets really dangerous to me. I think is where you talk about putting this directly in control of, like I said, the missile systems or aircraft or in other words, where it can autonomously decide to kill. I mean, then it has the mechanism to do something. I guess the other idea would be sabotage well, through the internet, where it goes out and hacks into stuff and you know causes reactors to melt down or. Chemical plants to blow up, or you know that sort of thing. That's another kind of risk that would be there, I guess. Or, really or railway trains that are on fire, full of hazardous chemicals, and they they don't slow them down because they have a schedule to meet. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's actually, there's a tremendous number of these yeah. things. I'm worried. Are we not maintaining our? Well, that's off the subject. But are we not maintaining the railroad tracks properly? There seems to be so much of this lately. I mean, I know. Well, the train companies have always. If yeah. You can read about the train companies, even you know, back when trains were first invented, they didn't care about their passengers or their personnel at all. All they cared about was making money, and uh, they they asked them to put compressed air brakes on the train so they could actually stop them. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they fought it tooth and nail. Don't tell us how to run our business, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, there's it, it, a lot of disturbing things going on. We'll have to see how this turns out. But like you said, there is a problem that this is, I'm not, is it really that contro- controllable? Because how do you really distinguish between something that is just machine learning on a high scale and something that actually is, quote, AI? Because it's kind of a, it's a line you only know when it actually happens, maybe. I mean, in other words, you don't think it's that, but it sort of is. Like in the 2001, well, you, you they really one, weren't one sure whether well, the, 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 the HL-9000 was really conscious or not. They, they said it kind of mimics it, and it's programmed <laughs> to interact with people that way, but is it really? You know, and that was kind of the situation. That, that may be true here, too. Well, I, I, you know, John, one of my jokes as a physicist is uh, – People tell me as a physicist that time is an illusion, and I said, "Well, I got to pay my rent." <laughs> so it becomes a very convincing illusion. <laughs> Here, John, I've got to move on. We're coming up on two hours. So anything else? Okay, okay sure, sure. I think I think we can wrap it up at that. It's, it's, okay, it, it's an interesting John, discussion thank today. You, thank of course, you for your comments, I do appreciate them. Okay. Um, Listeners, uh, we we got a few minutes left. If you are really dying to talk to Dr. B, call, but you got to really hurry because we're approaching two hours and uh, everybody's okay. got places to go and things to do. 866-687-7223. And Rick posted a comment on 
the blog. Uh, he's got it listed as open lines, but uh, it really is the Dr. B show. Um, God, the phone is ringing again. John, what the hell did you do? You triggered the bots to call me? I triggered um, the bots to call. Hit, hit, I say hit. the dinosaur, the, the, the dragon is still in its egg. Kill it now. <laughs> here, Here is Rick Kwan's uh, blog post. Some observations about AI, whether or not AI... Whether or not an AI system is woke depends on the training data that is fed to it. Mm, read the Elon Musk yeah. piece from a couple of days ago, Rick. Whatever bias is in the data will manifest itself in the results coming from the AI system. Jeffrey Hinton noted in his interview that the human brain consumes about 30 watts, whereas AI systems consume megawatts. That is, there are several orders of magnitude of improvement in energy efficiency before it's competitive with humans. But people and companies are certainly going to work on it. And again, I think I sent you the Elon Musk comments on this about woke and lying and misleading, Rick. If I didn't, then somehow I forgot to do that. Uh, email me offline and I will send you those comments. Uh, you have a phone call, um, so uh, let's hear who your caller is. Hi, caller. Welcome to the program, and who are you, and where are you, please? Uh, yeah, hi. This is AJ uh, from Washington, D.C. area. Hi. Hi, David. Oh, very good. Hi. Very good. Good. Thank you. Um, my, uh, I guess uh, I also um, do science, but I also do art, um, and... I was just sort of wondering if there any word way to differentiate. See, I do abstract art, for example. Now, when you do abstract art, there is a certain feelings and emotions that you have within you that you try to abstract and put on canvas. Um, and so, is that something that AI can possibly ever do? And other connected to that is uh, this uh, thing that. There are certain emotions that we have. Of course, love is one of them, and hatred is the other one. Can AI persona be ever be able to manufacture those or have those? Or is there some way, if not, then isn't that the way that we can differentiate between AI and uh, human beings or other uh, platforms? Well, in, in my... In my novel, which is, you know, kind of like a, a, a computer simulation of reality or what-if scenario, uh -huh. um, the computer develops uh, emotion spontaneously uh, once it has consciousness. It, it, as they say, it has now a mind of its own. It's got a mind of its own. Whenever it does anything weird, they just say, oh, it's got a mind of its own now. It's writing its own programming. And um, in my novel, by the way, they get around the um, question of efficiency. It's all in a superconducting cavity. The computer lives and thinks inside a superconducting cavity, so it doesn't technically consume any power when it's running. Um, it's just flipping bits. Yeah. Um, and so, so, but... Uh, yeah, but my question is not about developing say, a mind, but, you know, something novel, different, art, maybe. In the novel, the computer develops extreme hatred for the human race, and that's partly due to the fact that it was programmed by somebody who was 
you know, there are people, there are members of the human race who are called misanthropes, and they don't like the yeah. rest of the human race. And mm-hmm. in this case, the person who programmed this computer did not like the human race. And his uh, when his creation awoke and became sentient, uh, it amplified those feelings. And um, so um, I don't know what it loved uh, besides itself but um mm-hmm. it's it, it has a certain kind of sense of love or loyalty to its its program or its creator but uh not for anyone else and uh so so i'm, I'm sorry your your name again is uh, my name is AJ, and I was sort of wondering okay. if we can do, for example, an abstract expression yeah, yeah. painting. AJ from DC, and um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think the emotions go along with consciousness because they aid survival in nature. They are survival. Uh, an emotion is uh, mm-hmm. basically a overall motivator for our thought processes. If we say Okay, I don't like so and so. I'm going to get him. Then you this focuses your thought processes. Or I'm afraid of this person. Uh, he's a threat to my existence. Um, then that mo- also motivates you to, you know. Uh, or if I love somebody, um, I want to take care of them. Uh, this essentially it's an organizing principle. So I I think emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, arose in nature, because, and we see them in dogs, cats, all sorts of other things. They arose in nature because they are aids to survival, as well as consciousness itself is an aid to survival. Once you're watching out for number one, you hate people who uh, want to get destroy you, and you love people who mm-hmm. want to preserve you. There. That's where I think emotions and a sense of consciousness self are connected, AJ. Okay, well, that's, that's a good answer. I appreciate that. Uh, but would that, You're very would that be it? And um, I, I just hope the human race can avoid this. To me, the train is running right towards the Grand Canyon, and the, yeah. there's no bridge across it. And it could plunge into the canyon. And, you know, sometimes um, the human race just has to have a train wreck. Sometimes it does, especially if big money is financing the train running as fast as possible. And you say, well, you know, there's no bridge across the Grand Canyon and we're approaching it and you tell the big money people that and they say, well, I'm going to sell before we reach the canyon. I'll sell all my shares before we reach the canyon. So that's somebody else's problem. Okay, thank you very that's much. What that's what they think. Thank you, AJ, for the call. I appreciate yeah. it, okay? Yeah. Um, so listeners, we're going to end the show today because uh, uh, we're at the two-hour point and... Uh, it's hard for people on archives to keep listening past two hours as well. Um, John, do you have any concluding comments, anything you want to share with us that you haven't shared yet? 
Uh, destroy AI before it destroys us. There. And you're serious about that, right? Oh yes. And um, do you you don't you never mentioned a, a destruction mechanism? Do you have one in sixty seconds or less? Well, if Congress, I've, I've called you know I've talked to my Congress uh, my Congressperson and my two senators, and I want them to investigate and haul people like Sam Altman in and say, what safeguards do you have that the AI you create will not just try and destroy the human race, especially if it has access to the Internet? And and um, I, if I know these people, they'll hem and haw and try and evade the question. They'll consult with their lawyers and stuff. And the um, if the Congress knows what it's doing, it will say, okay, we're stopping all of your research immediately by law of Congress. We have to have a a big conference of scientists and ethicists and stuff to decide if we should even proceed on this thing. There. That's what I think should happen. Well, um, be made, AI research should be made to stop and ultimately be Erased, and and of course you, you won't get that across other nations. But you've already responded to that, so I'll let it I, go. You know, we can we can treat it as a um, a possible pathogen, and treat it the same way we treat uh, viruses or uh, or bacteria for bacteriological warfare. Um, heavily contained, uh, very controlled experiments. And um, flamethrowers at the ready if it, <laughs> it starts getting loose. Um, okay. Any other books coming up on the near horizon? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love writing novels, so I'm writing another novel. And uh, this one is farther in the future. Uh, and it's called uh, Letters of Mark. And if you know what Letters of Mark are, uh, they're a license to be a pirate. <laughs> a license to be a pirate? Right. Okay. I- imagine that we have a border with a bunch of uh, Klingons. We're, we're, are, we've expanded till we actually have now a border with the Klingon Empire. I'm, you know, I have these Klingon-like aliens called the Samar. And uh, they don't. they won't even agree as to where the border is. <laughs> And they're constantly raiding the human settlements, and so the lady who runs the human race, she's the prime minister, does what Queen Elizabeth did. She writes letters of bark, which she issues to these people so they can raid the uh, the Klingons. <laughs> when do we get treated to this book? Oh, probably in the next uh, year or so. And uh, so it has. It's, it actually has another meaning uh, in addition to letters of Mark uh, of license to be a pirate. Uh, but I'll I'll leave that for a later discussion. And okay. the thing is, is that uh, Sir Francis Drake sailed under letters of Mark, and uh, which is against the Spanish, and uh, he was extremely effective. <laughs> so are these people. <laughs> so I'll just I'll just give you a place. This this woman comes. This young woman comes out to this frontier area called, you know, this border region where this all of this is occurring, and she's looking for her father. 
And the, the Navy people, one of them finally says, oh, I know who he is. He's a larker. I mean, and she says, what's that? And he means he sells under a letter of mark. He's basically, ma'am, pirate <laughs> with a license. <laughs> and she's ho- completely horrified at this. <laughs> but rather than going home back to the safe systems of the near the near the earth, she wants to go find him. <laughs> All right. Well, you'll let us know. Letter, letters of Mark. You'll let us know when you're ready to talk more about that. And it, by the way, it visualizes the human race as alive and just as rascally as it is now <laughs> in the far future. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll look forward to the... It's, to it's the... sort of a Star Trek, uh, but with a twist. You know, it's the Star Trek sort of scenario, but with a twist, where the Federation can't deal with this one group, one border area, so it kind of just gives out licenses. All right. We'll look forward to talking to you in the future about it. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Listeners, that's it. And remember, uh, Space Architecture and Living in Space with Melody on uh, Tuesday night on the Space Show. Everybody have a great rest of the weekend. Uh, Thank you for calling. Thank you for your emails. And thank you for uh, Dr. B for being with us for a two-hour-plus Space Show program. Goodbye from Dr. B, David, and the Space Show.